Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Each week, I'm joined by my co-host, Red, and some of the best product managers in the business. Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jeff Schulman, and I am a professor at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business, where I have founded the Product Management Center. So the Product Management Center is working to build a more diverse inclusive and skilled product management community. Our flagship enterprise, so to speak, is the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator, where we are empowering professionals from historically marginalized communities to land their first product management role. In doing so, we're confident that more diverse voices in product management will lead to more diverse innovations that universally improve lives for the many rather than just for the few. The other part of what we do is this. Every week, we used to be on Clubhouse, but every week we record a podcast, the How to Succeed in Product Management podcast. And we record this to make sure that knowledge and connections are accessible to as many people as possible. So our discussion here, you see that red circle, that this discussion is going to be shared in the How to Succeed in Product Management podcast. And if you'd like to have your voice preserved and recorded forever, raise your hand. We'd love to get you involved at about 25 minutes or so. We'll let you raise your hand to ask a question or to share your thoughts. Uh, But today we're talking about driving inclusion in product management. And we have Sumeya Benganam, who's here every single week on the podcast. And we have two guests. And I'm going to start with Emily. Emily, if I could ask you to tell us a little bit about your journey in product and also dive into the burning question, why should anybody care? Why should somebody give us these next 50 minutes to learn about driving inclusion and product management? So my name is Emily Fishkind, and I'm a product manager at Microsoft. Been at Microsoft for quite a few years, going through kind of a, a program manager to product manager journey. And I think driving inclusion in product management is so critical in order to, like you said, Jeffrey, in order to kind of extend the benefits to everyone for a particular product. And so not not only is it kind of the right thing to do from a humanity perspective, but I also think it's really good for business because you're, you know, you're building your product in a way that's going to be inclusive of many different people. So it's so critical. And one thing that I really care deeply about too is is kind of the the how we build products together as a product team working across engineering or our user experience design or across our business stakeholders, external or internal stakeholders. And just the communication and the words we use also is extremely powerful and, and meaningful in terms of how we drive inclusion and in, in product management. That's that's one real passion area for me too. So I'm happy to dive into that a bit more today too. All right, Emily, thank you for joining us here today. And you know, it's purposely vague about what I mean by inclusion and product management. And we're going to hear from each of our guests as to what it means to them and what they're here to talk about, and then just have a dialogue. And then, of course, welcome perspectives from the audience. But Richa, if I pronounce your name and also tell us, one, your journey in product, and two, what do you think it means? What are we talking about? What do you think we're talking about? Or what do you want to talk about as it relates to driving inclusion in product management? Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, Jeffrey, first of all, for having me here and making me part of this discussion. And I will start off by sharing a little bit about myself. 
I work as a director of product management at F5. F5 is a cybersecurity firm, enterprise headquartered here in Seattle. I also teach product management at educational institutions. Mentorship and giving back to the community is a big part of me. I mentor young professionals and uh, aspiring product managers. And I actively volunteer my time at nonprofits that support minorities and women in technology. I live on the east side in Bellevue with my extremely supportive family, my husband and two boys. Enough about myself. Diving into the topic for today, inclusion in product management and going back to Jeffrey, as you were saying, right? Why should we care about inclusion and why should we spend next 15 minutes and folks who are here on the call uh, should spend time talking about this? It's because as product managers, we, we if we do not think of inclusion as part of our design thinking, as part of our product life cycle as we are starting to develop a product we are le- we would leave a lot of folks out the of our product adoption cycle and we would be revisiting later on trying to fix some of the things it will not be an inclusive comprehensive experience for our audience for the bigger set of audience and that's why as product managers who as so product managers, as you said, right, it's inclusion in product management, workforce in product management also needs to be inclusive, as well as the product that we are designing needs to be inclusive of all the audiences. So I guess this, uh, this is a very interesting topic and I'm excited to dive into the discussion further with the team. All right. Thank you for joining us. And then Sumeya, the world on Clubhouse knows who you are because that's where we've been hosting our conversations for the last year. But tell our LinkedIn Live audience a little bit about yourself, your journey in product, and then what do you think it means? What Define inclusion or what are we driving? What is the inclusion we're driving in product management? Yeah, absolutely. Hi, everyone. I'm Sumeya Bingana. If we haven't met, just a matter of time. So I'm glad to meet you all here. I've been in the product management world for almost 20 years in large and small companies, both startups and large corporations and financial services. And now in software, I currently work at uh, VMware. And I'm always happy to talk about product management as a craft as a science, as an art. And, you know, Jeff will attest to the fact that we can have hours and hours of conversation. And actually, neither one of us will tire of it. So today's conversation around inclusion is actually one we've had before. But this is a conversation is never ending because the world as that we live in is constantly changing. The things we can learn about inclusion can only get better. It's a place that we can do better in, always seeking to improve and learn more. And so I'm always happy that we're con- we continue to build on previous conversations and we continue to talk about different experiences and different nuance that come up depending on let's say, the company culture we're in or the kind of product we work in. So I'm excited that we're going to talk about both cultivating and building diverse teams and building products that show up in an inclusive way that provide services and, and value to a large set of users and humans. So excited about this conversation. Back to you, Jeff. All right. Thank you, Samaya. I should clarify, sorry. 
I go by Jeff. I don't know why on LinkedIn, I'm formerly Jeffrey D. Shulman. It, it sounds more professional. And then that's what my bubble's showing up. But uh, so please. <laughs> did, did you notice? Did you notice I had that hesitation for a second? I'm like, hold on. Do I need to start calling him Jeffrey now? <laughs> yeah. Once it's like there for all to see, it's hard not to call the person by the name you're looking at. But yes. So Emily, we let everybody else answer the question. But to you, what does inclusion and product management look like? What is it that we're striving for? Yeah. Well, thanks so much for clarifying that you're a Jeff, not a Jeffrey. <laughs> I wasn't sure there. So thank you. Inclusion and product management. So, you know, there's so much to say. And I, I loved what you said, Samia, about it being a real journey of learning. And I mean, I take that to heart in my practice and my discipline and the way that I interact with my team members and, you know, cross-functionally. So I'll start with just the importance really on sort of being inclusive in the way that consider what the product can be and who it can reach and how we can build it inclusively. So, you know, one thing that that sort of there's so much to talk about and we could probably spend days talking about different elements of it. But from a product management perspective, I mean, just as we think about even just setting up kind of understanding the customer journey, for example, there were many years there where I, I was less considerate of a broad persona base. Like when I think about the product, whether it be, you know, an internal tool or something more external facing, I have in the past you know, reflecting, I have found that maybe I wasn't quite as inclusive as I could have been when I start thinking about, you know, these personas of the customer or various personas across the customer journey. And so, you know, even starting with something as basic as how do we think about these sort of requirements and how do we think about how to specify these features for our product? You know, when we start thinking about the actual customers or the various users, you know, I think being thoughtful about how we consider those personas and bringing as many diverse voices to the table as we can really enriches the way we can consider what the product can do and what unmet, you know, how we can kind of meet some like maybe unarticulated or unknown requirements because we can think about things a bit more broadly and more inclusively with more diversity. And I think just to start there, that that's something that's that's been a bit of, of my journey. All right. Thank you, Emily. Richa, am I getting that right? Uh, now that I've asked everybody to call me Jeff, am I pronouncing that correctly? Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, it's almost there. Perfect. Near perfect. I would say it's adding A to rich. So how you pronounce rich and then it becomes Richa. Okay. Thank you so much. And sorry to put you on the spot there. But Richa, what is the future that you're looking for? Like, I guess I want to ask you just a standard product management question. If we're hacking, managing inclusion and in product management, what does success look like? Correct. Success is tricky. Going back to what Emily and Sumaya have alluded to, that it's, it's an ever-changing. There will always be new forms of these subset microgroups that we will continue to It's a self-learning process as well as these communities are self-learning themselves. There is evolution that's happening and we will continue to evolve. The success is building this inclusion phenomena into our process, making sure that the product design that's happening, the personas that we are creating, the user community that we are creating, the, the test groups that we are creating are as diverse as possible. 
this inclusion is part of, is one of the work streams as we think of the different phases of product management. In Persona, for example, as uh, Emily rightfully pointed out, I was, as I was thinking about this topic, I was reflecting back and I was thinking, even sometimes today when we create Personas, it is reflecting a most common user group, not necessarily the subset or those micro groups that may also be using this, using a product. So that's where we need to make this a fundamental a work stream, a fundamental concept in our product and keep itself evolving. It's a virtuous cycle of inclusion. It becomes a virtuous cycle of inclusion. The design is adaptive. We understand that one size will never fit all. And we continue to evolve and grow and adapt to the new user groups as we continue to learn about them. Thank you. Sumeya, in your mind, if we're striving for driving inclusion and product management, What does success look like to you? I'm going to take more of a personal point of view, or if I was a PM and I want to be more inclusive, what are the the skills that I want to focus on, both from a behavior standpoint and a mindset standpoint? I think, you know, starting within the team, creating that sense of belonging for the entire team becomes important. But what does that look like? One, empowering people to share their voice or to share their opinion and to participate in in the decision-making. And in that way, especially if you have diverse teams, that can translate to products that take diverse kinds of users and needs into consideration. Creating a, you know, a team environment or a team culture where authenticity and openness are are a norm. And as I say this, I know this is hard, which is why as PMs, you know, with a tremendous amount of influence, these are things we can constantly work on and do better with and also infuse the rest of the team members with. So anyway, I mentioned two skills around openness and inclusion of people in decision-making and in hearing what they have to say. I would also add empathy. It's something we talk about a lot. So when we're you know talking about users, we want to be empathetic to them. But then there is also an element of cultural awareness and using that as well as empathy to bridge divides. So whether it is within the team or within the larger culture or within the product, there are many opportunities to apply that as a skill. And then the last one, and this is something that a lot of PMs are actually good at, which is when we focus on goals and use that as a North Star, then we're also able to include a lot more people in the conversation. I know we think about goals as an opportunity to focus, and that's true, but there is always room within goals for us to be a little more inclusive of things, people, and opportunities that we don't normally think about. And so it's just a matter of having more awareness and more conversations to ask Who else can we include under this umbrella that gets us to deliver this goal faster and better with a little more impact? All right. Thank you, Samia. Now, Emily, I want to turn to you. Tactically, how do we achieve the outcomes that each of you have shared? Do you have any specific tips that somebody who's listening can utilize today or tomorrow that will help them build that future? 
Yeah. So again, just really loved what you had to say there, Samaya. Again, I think underscoring the, the sort of culture of learning and the growth mindset and this journey of driving inclusion is is really important because we will make mistakes. I mean, and I think it's important to uh, kind of create that culture, as Samaya was saying, to like nurture that reality that we're going to make mistakes. And one specific thing we can do when we hear a mistake, even if it's the way someone has referred to someone else or using maybe even like an outdated term, for example, blacklist or a master versus main type branch for engineering, you know, like one very tactical tip is to create that culture is to kind of call people in rather than calling people out from like a, a learning perspective. So if you happen to be in a position where you've you heard something and you know that it could potentially offend or it's a non-inclusive term in just a day-to-day kind of way that we work, one great way to kind of handle that is to connect offline with that person in your team and just have that chat, you know, to say like, hey, I heard this. And in the past, I learned that this could potentially be considered non-inclusive, you know, and consider trading that term out for something else. That's one kind of really tactical tip, like with respect to driving team culture and sort of that psychological safety within a team and just the way that we work with one another. On the kind of product side of things, one really specific thing, and I feel very fortunate to work, you know, at a company that really takes this very, very seriously is, you know, take a look and create a goal that has a lot to do with, you know, accessibility and specifically being compliant with WCAG 2.2, you know, compliance. And that's the the web content accessibility guidelines, for those of you who don't know. Getting kind of aware of what that is and making sure that those types of accessibility sort of scans on the code and in in the UI for specific, like if you're talking about software, which is the world that I live in, you know, that is so key, right? So that you can ensure that, you know, people that have vision issues can see, can read through the screen reader. So the WCAG kind of guideline is, is really great to tactically just be aware of and sort of make sure that there's some sort of process on the team to ensure that those types of bugs are being they're getting known and getting handled in sort of some sort of solid process. Thank you. Richard, do you have any tactical recommendations for how somebody could achieve the inclusive future in product management that you'd like to see? Yes, a couple, at least three. So a couple of them are more product management build perspective. And the third one is a more culture perspective. When I was before joining F5, I was at Kaiser Permanente and we built website and apps and experiences for our member community, for our millions of our patients and caregivers and doctors. And one of the concepts that we had started to use in the product management was human-centered design. And what we did as part of that program or that design process when we were building, designing the app or some portion of the website is we would bring in a diverse user group and have them intuitively, without being guided, without being assisted, observe how are they responding, how using the experience, how are they responding to it, and then building the feature set, building the application, the software around making sure that they are able to use that appropriately as expected function of that uh, product is. So human-centered design is one way 
that product managers can uh, bring in inclusion into the product. Second is, as Emily was talking about, there are very tactical, accessible development uh, tools available uh, that uh, product managers can use that simulate certain scenarios. They would run your entire website application and see how adaptable they are for accessibility. Are there ARIA labels and such that will make sure that your product is a program application is usable for those is inclusive of that user community. And then the third one is coming to the inclusive, building an inclusive workforce in product management. And it is important and extremely critical because we are building products for everyone. So it needs to be built by everyone. And product management thrives on diversity. The diverse uh, product management group we have, the more uh, the variety of ideas we bring to the table and Soumya you encapsulated all the benefits of having a diverse product management team really well. So thank you for saying all the, all the things you said. All right. Sumed, do you have any tactical recommendations for those who want to build the future, the inclusive product management future that you see? So Richa and Emily touched on really good points. I'm going to also share this podcast <laughs> because, Jeff, this is one topic that you're actually very committed to. And frankly, we've probably at least three more episodes or previous episodes on this topic where there were some amazing, in addition to these, amazing tips and resources. So I encourage everyone to just Google how to succeed in product management podcast and look for episodes on the topic of inclusion. We've had a couple with people from Netflix, from other companies that have large-scale consumer products. PeopleSoft, et cetera. And I think if you if you are interested in this topic and you take Rich's insights and Emily's insights and put that together, you're going to have a plethora and, and a lot of options of things you can do. All right. Shameless promotion of... Uh... <laughs> Not shameless. Well, is it shame? there is no shame. Yes. But I love, uh, tactical <laughs> promotion. by you, Jeff. What's that? I was saying you did not ping me and say, Samaya, please do this. <laughs> this was truly organic. Got it. Got it. Yes. Organic reach. So excellent. So I appreciate each of those three tips, the three of you giving tips. Now I want to welcome anybody from the audience who wants to ask a question of Emily, Richa, or Sumeya. And if you want to do that, I believe you... Well, I've never been on LinkedIn audio raising my hand, so I don't know how to do it, but hopefully you could figure it out because if you do raise your hand, we'll be able to invite you on stage. So if you have any questions, raise your hand, or you could send me a message in the LinkedIn chat if you want to be anonymous and I could read it to get your question answered. So questions or comments, raise your hand. Otherwise, I have another question and I'll start with Richa this time since I've went to Emily the first a couple times. Do you have any opinions that you think might be controversial. So any opinions on inclusion and product management that you want to float and see if Emily agrees or disagrees, and you get a point. We're going to make this a game at some point. You get a point if there's disagreement, because we've always been looking for some drama on this show. <laughs> drama is always nice. <laughs> so when I think of inclusion and when I think of the multiple things that product managers have to do to be successful and to land it right, and there is a thinking, is it a challenge or is it an opportunity? Building universal product that can be used by anyone of any ability is in itself is extremely hard, challenging, making it right, making it with fulfilling all the needs that it showed. And then if you layer on top of it, these 
subsets and these inclusion and this i would love to hear uh, from emily but what do you think is that an opportunity or is that a challenge and how yes how, how to think of it and how to how for product managers should i think it's a, it's a challenge however i have also seen and heard and i think it's an opportunity to be more politically correct about this it's not mainstream i guess that's what i'm trying to say it's not built into the product management practices yet it's not mainstream it takes a lot of legwork for product managers to go and build they're building inclusive design and inclusive products i love it great question emily weigh in does she get a point for controversy is it an opportunity or a challenge oh yeah i definitely think rich should get a point i mean <laughs> but but i have to say i mean so if she gets a point, if I disagree with it being a challenge, right? And I, I don't, I mean, I really want to, I do think it's both, but I do think that many opportunities are challenges. I think that the challenge in this space and driving inclusion and, and product management is, is sometimes it takes a little extra effort to sort of have the business case resonate with those who hold, you know, the investment power and that is both the challenge and I think the opportunity. So like I said, at the top of the call, it, it's good for business to create products that reach the widest you know, net of folks. There's over a billion disabled people and people with disabilities in the world, right? So I mean, there's a lot of opportunity to reach people that may not be getting reached well right now. And there's also a really big challenge in, in sort of making sure that that products have the right level of sort of scrutiny on, for example, accessibility or inclusive language practices in the way that things, features are being built or teams are being created or the culture of the team itself. And so that's just a really long-winded way to say I kind of agree with Richa and that it's both an opportunity and a challenge, but I still think she should get the point. <laughs> yeah, I lean more towards opportunity. And I get to do that because I study it and I study what people are doing across different companies and what's happening rather than having to actually do it. So I take that with a grain of salt. But the reason I give you the controversy is, as Emily said, there's a billion people with disability. I think it's $8 trillion in global spending. Like there's a ton of money, and there are so few people hitting their needs, that when you hit their needs, you have a unique competitive advantage, whether that's the adaptive controller from the Xbox, uh, where people without the full use of their hands can start to play. And now you, you tap into a whole new market for gaming, whether it's the Nike, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the name, but the Fly. Well, there's a shoe that you could put on without the use of your hands. And they didn't just sell it to the people who couldn't use their hands but permanently. They were able to sell it to people who had uh, groceries in their hands or had kids or a dog yanking them out the door. And they're able to slip their shoes on rather than tie their shoes. Cuts don't just serve the people in wheelchairs, but you serve the people who have strollers on scooters, on bicycles, uh, who have knee trouble. So I think just time and time again, there is such an opportunity to meet the unique needs of people that have been historically left behind. Now, I do want to acknowledge that the challenge is it takes a whole different way to wire your brain because I think commonly this is one of the reasons why the Product Management Center at the University of Washington exists is because we have the outcome. Product management should help you drive success for your business and drive success for your customers. And commonly we just teach like in a way that doesn't get people to think about 
the totality of everybody. They have a more narrow view. They let their biases win. It does take a little bit of effort to retrain your brain to center the user and be thinking about the assumptions that you've made that narrow who you could actually serve. So we make assumptions that I know there's a lot of people in wheelchairs. I know there's a lot of people who can't see, but how many of them are my customers? Like that's where the bias becomes more sinister. So anyway, I, I spoke too much. I'm here to listen, <laughs> but thanks for, thanks for listening on that one. So Rich, I, I do think you get a point. You came off mute, so I want to give you some space to react to what you heard. Emily, thank you so much for calling out, of course, the two sides of the coin. And Jeffrey, your comment around that, yes, there are so many opportunities as well that we, of course, don't see. But there are these companies and examples that they have created this, they have used this and they've created opportunities for others as well. So thank you for sharing. So there's an article that I'd recommend reading is Designing from the, the Margins, I think it's called, or Designing for the Margins. I'll have to dig that up to give the correct title to it. But essentially the thesis is right now we commonly center the average. So we're like, okay, who's the average person who needs to go from to have this problem, have this problem solved. And then we focus on the average. But if you instead focus on the margin, the person who's furthest from being able to get that solved, you don't only solve it for them, you solve it for everybody who didn't have the challenge that you're helping overcome. Yeah, that sounds like a great article. Please share the link whenever you get a chance. So again, sorry, I've spoke too much. I'll share that article in just a moment. I'll, I'll get to my Google here to make sure I find the right article. But Emily, anything else that you would say is controversial and any opinions that you have that you want to float and see if Richa agrees or disagrees? Hmm, I got one. Okay, what do you say to this, Richa? Inclusive language is just something similar to being kind of overly political correct, politically correct. And it's it's sort of it's sort of meaningless. Or I was also going to add, being in, an inclusive language for one community can be not so inclusive for the other mm. community mm -hmm. as well. So it's hard to kind of those are some of the tough paths to tread. Is which one you are being inclusive at the same time? How are you inclusive for the broader versus becoming in the quest to become inclusive? You don't want to become this inclusive that you are ex actually start excluding other folks out. So yeah. I don't think I'm disagreeing. However, I'm also putting another layer on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. It's another context is that's another thing that you can become too. So how do you find that balance that you're inclusive at the same time how, on purpose, keeping it politically correct? <laughs> <laughs> So Emily, I feel like you posed that question. If you're both comfortable, dive a little deeper into where, what do you think and where's the evidence or the experiences that, that form your thinking? Yeah. So here's a story. You know, one of the efforts that is pretty broadly abound, I think, in technology today is kind of removing these terms that could be viewed as non-inclusive in the, which is commented in the code, or even if we have a, a repository named as master and the subordinate repositories as slave, those, those types of terms, getting, you know, eradicating those types of terms from engineering. And, you know, I heard this one story where, you know, if there is something very, very deep in the code, commented in the code, that's an, it's a non-inclusive, considered a non-inclusive term, 
why this is something that like maybe only like the deepest of service engineers are going to see. Why should we care about removing, you know, something that's that buried? I've heard this comment in this, this story in my experience, professional experience. And so I think it's pretty controversial to consider that thought process, right? Like on the one hand, if only a fair few are going to be reading this and it's that buried, maybe it has a low impact, right? But when you think about it and you abstract it out to kind of the ripple effect that it could have, if culturally you're saying it's okay to have this term sort of existing in this way, very buried in the code, commented in the code, then it's kind of not dissimilar than, that, than saying, I won't say this term like out in the world or out at work, but when I come home, I'm going to say this term because I'm comfortable with it and I don't think it's hurting anyone. It's controversial in that the way that we think about the terms we use to communicate with each other or how we even just comment something in the code can have a residual effect that could really kind of start to degrade the overall culture of inclusion. And so I kind of, I think it's an interesting concept because as I know, you know, you can see on my LinkedIn profile, I'm a total inclusive language nerd. So these are things that I like to think about. But, you know, I have heard people say, oh, it's just like so much political correctness. Can't we just feel free to speak our minds and, you know, not have to be kind of filtering our our words all the time. And I think, yes, that's true. And I think we need to just collectively, especially as product managers, consider the words that we use to drive that sort of psychological safety in the team and also attract diverse talent and build diverse teams so that we can have products that serve many, many diverse and inclusive, you know, cast the net very wide. All right. So before we turn to Rich, I just want to give the audience a chance. If you want to chime in on how much inclusive language matters and how product managers could be setting the tone there, please raise your hand. We'd love to hear your thoughts on stage, whether you have a personal anecdote of how uh, non-inclusive language has impacted you or whether the struggle you might have had to use inclusive language, any thoughts you have on either direction of that conversation, we'd love to hear from you. And so raise your hand. And if we don't hear from you now, we'd love to hear from you on LinkedIn so you can respond to this post if you want to share your thoughts or reach out to me on Twitter. So now, Richa, I want to give you a chance to ask Emily a question. Is there any particular area of inclusion in product management, whether it's diversifying the workforce or having the product be universally improve lives, any struggle that you're having that you would want to get Emily's perspective on how she thinks about the issue? Yeah, thank you for this opportunity. I do have a question, as a matter of fact. So, Emily, I was thinking about when I think of inclusion, as I was saying earlier, it is mostly after the fact or probably a little bit later when we are from the get-go, when we are thinking about the product features, the design, meeting the requirements, the need, the persona, it doesn't come in early on. And then we have to shift gears or think of the ways in which making sure that we are being inclusive to the entire segment uh, that this product is going to serve. For example, accessibility. There are uh, some guidance around it. There is regulation. There are tools that exist. And so accessibility, that's a subset of inclusion. And there is some more, little bit more tangibility to it and is built into our process. Have you seen or have you worked out or is there a way in which you factor in inclusion from the get-go as you are designing your products and programs? 
That's a great question. Thanks, Richard. You know, one thing I was I was talking about earlier was this idea of when we think about the customer journey and we start building out a customer journey map. That is, I think, a great place to start thinking, you know, inclusively, thinking about kind of even as we, you know, I don't know how many on the call or, or how many folks listening like create empathy maps and create person, you know, personas and really kind of get like even a, maybe a, a photo of somebody to kind of humanize the persona that you're creating. One thing that's super important, I think, is to make sure that we as product managers consider, you know, consider all walks of life when we think about this persona. So for example, non-binary folks often don't, don't, they don't make their way into like a persona. Yeah. And so, so I think like even people with disabilities don't often a a, a persona slide. And so if we think about for every type of person there is out there, do we have some representation or some inclusive thinking, even when we're doing kind of design and customer journey to include Various scenarios from different individuals. I saw a really interesting post on LinkedIn the other day where a person in a wheelchair actually didn't get treated very well from some parks and rec because the form that she filled out to take an archery class didn't have an accommodation option. So they didn't know she was in a wheelchair. And so all of the targets were too high. And so the person had to, like, you know, go through and lower the targets and a little bit upset about it. And so everybody was upset, right? The customer who bought the class, the the person who had to go through and lower the targets. And, you know, that didn't have to happen if somebody was thinking more inclusively about the overall experience, what's the customer journey overall. And so I think that's a great place to start is when we think about who are our customers, who is going to use the product. And as product managers, one muscle that I am always trying to build is like, what are those edge cases? And I think you were saying something about kind of that sinister bias around, well, you know, we sort of often think of like happy path. And I think happy path often is we have our own biases around what happy path is because we each have our own happy path kind of scenario. Well, I'm not thinking of your happy path and you're probably not thinking of mine, but if we can come together in a customer journey mapping exercise and we have a diverse set of folks on the team, then we're seeing things a lot differently and learning so much more about each other and who we could possibly serve with the product. And so I think there's a lot of power there in just kind of a customer journey perspective and the persona. True, true. Well said. Thank you, Emily. All right. We still have time for questions. I see a couple fellows in the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator in the audience. Great to see you here. And I want to give the shout out. (laughs) They are hardworking professionals who have valuable experience, been very driven to become a product manager. And they are in our 12-week program. Or once even they finish the 12-week program, they're in our family 
for life. And they're continuously supported by mentors from top companies, from volunteers from top companies, and from each other uh, who have gone through that same process. So if you are looking for brilliant, hardworking, motivated product managers who are passionate about inclusion, check out the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator, volunteer today, and even better yet, get your company to be a sponsor and partner with us so that you could diversify and expand the talent pipeline. So shout out to the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator fellows uh, who are in the audience and a call to all of you to support the program uh, through volunteering or sponsorship. All right, we are almost at concluding thoughts. I think I have one last question. For somebody who's just super passionate about inclusion and product management, but they're kind of new in the role, and maybe that's even a year or two, but they're not senior level that could shape the future. What's one recommendation you would say to them that they could not just build more inclusive products, but uh, get the organizational support to do so? What recommendations would you give to somebody who's a fairly new PM without organizational influence that's necessary to, to make a massive shift at the moment? Or maybe I don't want to say that's necessary, but that you would typically assume was necessary. Richa? I would say they can definitely provide insights on those edge cases, as Emily was talking about, that there, there are organizations today, they do lack this gap. This is not built in the practice. So even folks who are new to this, they understand at the grassroots level what the products are, what the functioning are, how they function, how they work, and how they align with the strategy and whatnot of the organization. And then they can do the industry research on the data on inclusion and put forth, bring forth some of the new thinking on those first edge cases on those. Those are the user group that probably the team is missing or they're not looking at and they are not inclusive of them in their personas or in their customer journey map. And then how, what is the do the research outside of using various like Google and other blogs and posts and Gartner study and McKinsey study that provide all this data that supports that if you support that how building inclusive products, building inclusive features and functionalities help businesses in the long run. And they can be very resourceful in bringing that information forward as well as educate themselves in the process. Emily, anything to respond to that or add your own? What somebody who's fairly new in product management within a couple of years and wants to see a bigger change? Just to add on to what Richard said, I think framing the investment in building products inclusively in a way that helps business leaders understand the return on investment, I think can be really powerful. And I think as um, you know, a person coming into the product management discipline, showing kind of that reach and impact as a part of the way that we prioritize the work that we do and helping, you know, helping senior leaders see how that kind of pencils out to the return on investment and the, the, the actual quantitative type view for them. Because the numbers just don't lie, right? Like if you're building something without that's not inclusive, you're just leaving customers that you could otherwise have, right? And so I think if you can tell that story effectively and show the, how that sort of pencils out with from the return on investment and the kind of the North Star metric and how you want to prioritize the features that you want to prioritize and why, that can be really powerful. And I think that can sort of set you apart as somebody who's deeply, you know, driven by empathy and also by brand love and just to do the right thing and, and makes good business sense. So that's what I would say. 
All right. Thank you both, Richa and Emily. I want to give a quick shout out. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to mention the person who shared this, but going back to our earlier comment, Emily, or the, the debate about how important inclusive language is, somebody shared an article from Pearson, Pearson Education, and they, they put pressure on professional engineering organizations to change the language from this master-slave system. So there are people working on that. So if somebody else is trying to make a case that, hey, maybe we should stop using this language in our code, for those not familiar, that's an engineering so a lot of the codes uh, referred to masters and slaves. And so uh, you at least have one more company who's doing that, uh, which is Pearson, putting that pressure on there. So, all right, one more question for either of you, whoever wants to take it, and then we'll go to concluding thoughts. But my last question is, all right, we talked about what somebody who's new to product management could try to do to change in their organization. And a lot of it ladders into what the current objectives are and making that case. If you're in a senior leadership how could you build your OKRs or how could you build you know, the objectives that you set for your teams around inclusion? Or how could you embed inclusion into your objectives? Have you seen examples or do you have any recommendations for that? Yeah, I'll jump in here. So like I mentioned earlier, the um, this sort of accessibility compliance with the WCAG 2.2, the web content accessibility guidelines, part of kind of like North Star or even like semester planning or kind of goal setting that I've seen, you know, in my experience has included sort of that grade, whatever, grade B, grade, whatever your goal is, grade, grade C or grade B on being accessibility compliant. So that's something that, that I've seen senior leaders put down as sort of as almost table stakes, right? Like we, it's part of privacy, security, and accessibility is right up there now. And I also will not be surprised if inclusivity, some sort of inclusivity metric or inclusive language metric or something shows up along the line as well in some, you know, areas. But I think just having that, you know, be part of the North Star, the makeup of what you consider table stakes could and should be part of, the go-dos for an organization. All right. Thank you so much. Richard, unless you had something to add, I'm gonna we're out of time. So I want to give you each a chance for concluding thoughts. What do you want to leave the listener with? Yeah, thank you, Jeffrey. In conclusion, I'll only say that uh, going back to what Emily was uh, referring to, that how privacy has come along, how security has come along, how in some ways or in a lot of ways, accessibility has come along. Now it they all of them have become foundational to our product design. In some ways, I would like to see inclusivity, inclusion to become that foundational. Some sort of guidance, standardization, it's too open-ended right now. Everyone is doing, in the spirit of being inclusive, everybody is doing everything. So getting some more grounded on this, on the concepts, on must-have, nice-to-have, uh, should have uh, kind of those criteria so that everybody, at least in some ways, can start that journey. They don't get overwhelmed by it. The product, the new companies, the startups, the mature companies, new product managers, like everybody can then start to embrace this concept without getting overwhelmed, I guess, is my closing thought on this topic. All right. Thank you, Rich. I appreciate you being here. Emily, 
Before I get to your takeaways, I just want to give a shout out again to your point on the inclusive language. Jennifer Walker, a PM at Pearson, says, language is important and shapes reality. As product managers, we have the opportunity to point out these opportunities to shift entrenched language that leaves others feeling othered. So we, we could bring in more voices and perspectives in. So another point for you in the, another comment supporting your emphasis on inclusive language from the audience here. Emily, concluding thoughts. What do you want to leave the audience with? That's awesome, Jeff. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I want to leave folks with just this kind of reminder that it's a total journey. It's a total learning journey. And I think if we always have kind of that growth mindset of that learning kind of preset and it's on, that we're probably going to be able to accelerate inclusion in product management, you know, just more effectively if we just keep that growth mindset turned on. And then finally, I'll just, I'll underscore my passion here for inclusive language and say, I think it is really foundational and it's kind of, it's just at the core of how we communicate with each other, how we show that we're allies. It's like the cornerstone of allyship. And it's not only, it not only drives kind of how we work together in our teams to create products that are inclusive, but also how, you know, how we tell the story and how we communicate with stakeholders and prospective customers and show that, you know, product was built with the objective of being as inclusive as it can be with the understanding that we are on a learning journey. And it's always great to iterate and, and sort of get the feedback and bring the feedback back into the cycle. Yeah, I'll just leave it there and say, I do think that inclusive language can be kind of a cornerstone for the culture of how we build and create inclusive products together in our teams. All right. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Richa. Appreciate both of you sharing perspectives. My concluding thoughts are, I envision a world where we could just have the topic, how to succeed in product management. And that's enough that people realize that an inclusion mindset throughout the product development process is inherent to that. I think it's true that it is. And I think it's just a matter of continuing to beat that drum, continuing to share and exchange ideas. And as, as Rich has said, start to codify some of these inclusive practices. But truly, when you think about how to succeed in product management, the typically we're t- talking about, you know, empathizing with your customer and your user and understanding your business and prioritizing solutions that solve the customer's problem and solve the business problem. And it's not, let's do that and then let's go through the pain and suffering of checking all the boxes of who did we miss out on, but it's instead starting from the very beginning and saying, all right, how can we broaden the scope? We want to be narrow and focused on who our user is in terms of what the problem is that they're trying to solve and what they need to solve it. But we really want to be broader in who we think about as we're developing those solutions and and identifying barriers to access. So it's not checking the boxes, it's having broader voices at the table in the room making the decisions and also being empathized with the customers you go out and the potential users that you go talk to. I promise you the data shows it and our stories here today and you'll find that the more you think about inclusion, there are customers who are just missing out and they would be delighted if you solve their problems and it would be an edge to your business. So thank you everybody for listening. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Richa. Thank you, Samaya, for being here. And for all the rest of you, thanks for listening and come join us next week. Uh, We'll be here again talking about finding a PM role in the current economy. 
So we've all seen the news in the economy and uh, we're seeing a lot of changes. And so we're going to talk to some PMs who have found a role in the current economy and we'll find out what's changed and what's the same. And also, if you want to check out all the conversations we've had before on inclusion and product management or anything else, the How to Succeed in Product Management podcast is available on every major podcasting app. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for considering volunteering your time with the Product Management Center at the University of Washington. And thanks for taking the time to learn more about how to be more inclusive in your job as a product manager. Take care, everybody.